0: Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to a new Himal South Asian interview. My name is Amit Ardhagasam. On the 9th of August, an official at an airport questioned the Indian identity of DMK leader, Kani Moli Karnaniti because she did not know Hindi. In response, Kani Moli tweeted, I would like to know from when being Indian is equal to knowing Hindi. The incident triggered viral responses on social media, and this is not unusual. India often sees tension along linguistic and ethnic lines. At the beginning of this month, the Indian central government proposed legislation in parliament under which Jammu and Kashmir, JNK, will have five official languages, even though Urdu has been JNK's sole official language for 131 years. This move comes as many within Jammu and Kashmir are fearful of continued subjugation of the local population by the Indian central government. Today, to discuss language politics in India, we are speaking to Mithilesh Kumaja. Mithilesh is the author of Language Politics and Public Sphere in North India, Making of the Maithili Movement. And we are very happy to have him speak with us today.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Amita, for having me here.
0: Uh, Mithilesh, can you tell us, uh, to begin with, how you came to be interested in studying maithili, uh, the Maithili Movement and more broadly language politics in India?
1: Uh, I speak Maithili. So Maithili is my mother tongue. And when I grew up, I was uh, familiar with the tension that was there between Hindi and Maithili. When I completed my post-graduation from Delhi University, there also I saw a kind of tension in terms of pedagogy, teaching, and uh, often uh, visible discomfort between Hindi medium students and English medium students in the university. That uh, somehow provoked me to think about uh, the linguistic economy, linguistic um, tensions, that was not just there among the communities, among the speakers, but also penetrate different institutions of state. So in my MA, I seriously began to think about exploring the language question in India, historically and also in the contemporary politics. And there was a number of debates and discussion already on Hindi or Urdu or Hindi and English, but what was happening within the different so-called varieties or uh, dialects of Hindi was something I thought will allow me to understand the broader contours of politics, linguistic hierarchy and so on.
0: Uh, For context, can you tell us how many people speak Maithili and where they're located?
1: so. About the number of speakers, there is, a, uh, um, uh, I mean, uh, different opinions. Uh, linguistically, it is an Indo-Aryan language spoken by, uh, according to census of India, thirteen point five million speakers. That is the official figure. Of course, it is contested by the speakers themselves. When uh, Grierson was writing, and on that basis. Many organizations and communities working on uh, for and the recognition of Maithili, they claim to have about six crore speakers. So, uh, and that's the huge difference between the official figure and um, the claim by the organization or the association working for the protection or the recognition of a particular language. It is spoken geographically in North Bihar, in Indian part of. Uh, the subcontinent, and also many other parts also where, where uh, there is a sizable uh, population in different cities, different states in India, such as in Jharkhand very recently. It is now recognized as the second official language in the state. And also in Nepal, particularly the Tarai region, uh, there are millions of speakers. And with Maithili women, there, there is this tension uh, to uh, Uh, consolidate within India and uh, question the imposition of Hindi and also transcend it to bring the speakers, uh, linguistic groups and association from the Tarai region in Nepal. Movement has a very, um, you know, assertive uh, phase outside the uh, uh, Mithila region or Mithili region. So in uh, Delhi or in Kolkata, Immediately after independence, or in Jaipur or Benares, there was the first uh, beginning of assertion about Maithili being distinct language and demanding um, their rights and recognition from the government, from the institution of the state, and so on.
0: You've talked about uh, how Maithili has uh, emerged as a movement and how it's um, you know resisted the expansion of Hindi. Uh, Could you draw upon that research and also um, other regional language movements and tell us how they do that and what form the struggle or resistance has taken?
1: Um, Particularly if we talk about Hindi heartland or what we call North India, the linguistic economy of North India uh, has been fraught with the tension between Hindi and Urdu. And also because this tension is associated with a particular religion, and also certain idea of nationality or nationalism and that has become a very dominant authoritative symbolic uh, construct during the nationalist movement and to a great extent in the post independent phase as well when a state and its official bodies began to uh, expand uh, hindi in as many areas as possible also beyond the uh, hindi heartland beyond the north india as well and there is the resistance to such expansionist ideas or policies of Hindi uh, uh, imposition by the state and its institution in north india uh, what was happening during the same time the consciousness on the basis of language is rooted with the sense of identity or a sense of community identity now those tensions were there even when hindi was questioning say, Urdu, and immediately after independence, the imposition of English. So there is this genuine grievances against uh, the imposition of English, uh, Raman or Lohia, and many uh, thinkers, activists, and parties question the imposition of English on uh, the Hindi-speaking people. The modes of their uh, assertion have been, in the modern time, as you know, With the nation state and the ideological significance of language in constructing the idea of nation, the print has played a very significant role. So, for these linguistic communities, the publication of magazines, journals, novels, stories, and so on become a kind of mode of resistance because most of these linguistic communities had a very rich oral tradition, which is there even today and that moods continue and began to take other forms also such as uh, demonstration protest petitioning or you know sending the memorandums and all and mightily has followed it uh, and uh, adopted different moods as it evolved from the colonial times to uh, contemporary times so it has been a very long struggle about 150 years and the linguistic movement has seen different phases in the recent phase, it has become you know, very uh, agitative following you know, the other social, political movement and their method of uh, resistance. But these movements began with the publication of magazines, journals, uh, novels, and so on. And Bhojpuri, Awadhi, and other linguistic groups are also following the similar tra- trajectories as well.
0: You said that there was a difference between um, when regional language speakers adopt Hindi as their language versus when the Hindi movement or Hindi speakers appropriate the language spaces of speakers uh, speaking regional languages. Can you flesh out the difference there?
1: For these linguistic communities, as I said, it might be uh, Awadhi or Bhojpuri. Um, magadhi in the region they uh, did support hindi's claim to be the national language of india and as i said there was a kind of ideological formation connecting language with the issue of religion and nationalism in that construct these linguistic groups did support hindi and its claim to be the national language however the speakers of these languages were very conscious of their distinct identity their own literary tradition many of them was not as vocal or as assertive as few of them have been such as Maitli, Bhojpuri, Awadhi and so on but that uh, discomfort was present even during the colonial times So 1920s, 30s or even earlier than that there was this uh, formation of um, consciousness or you know community identity on the basis of language and these linguistic groups also try to consolidate their position vis-a-vis hindi however what happens with you know uh, parties in of india formation of two separate nation state there was this official position or a kind of expansionist agenda where it was seen and this argument is put forward by many scholars also, that it becomes necessary to have Hindi as the nas- uh, national language in as many areas as possible. Now to have Hindi as the national language, it was seen as necessary to suppress the growth of these minor linguistic identities. Uh, not just discourage them, but also suspect them. And uh, in other way, the richness of Hindi of 1950s or during the anti-colonial struggle was also because of its connection with these groups or linguistic traditions in the post-independent ways it has become a kind of cut off from those richness or um, plural literary traditions
0: you wrote in your book that Maithili um a sort of literary and cultural renaissance uh, in the 1920s um, do you think that the mightily press is still as influential as it was back then? And in general, what is your assessment of the vernacular press today and its role in the politics of language?
1: There is a, a decisive shift, certainly, in this pushed information and communication technology is where there is a shift from printing uh, culture. Of course, that culture continues. But the audio-video culture has overtaken the modes of print and literary productions but uh, in the early decades of 20th century particularly uh, or Maitli i can speak of there was this uh, you know imposition of hindi and claim that Maitli is nothing but a dialect or a variety of uh, hindi and in most of its struggle it was fought or it was uh, the biggest challenge perhaps to overcome this uh, recognition of Maitli as a dialect or a variety of hindi so this misconception Continues to prevail in the popular imaginary event today among many sectors, even when Maitli is recognized in the East. It was far worse in the early decades of 20th century. In that historical political context, the print played a very significant role, and through print, then uh, monthly uh, writers and intellectuals began to establish the rich uh, tradition of Maitli and its uh, continuous production since 14th and 15th century with your Vidyapati and uh, so on. So Chandaja and Kharsnadja uh, and many others in the 18th, 19th, 20th uh, century, their literary works began to establish the richness of Maithili literary tradition and that helped Maithili uh, linguistic groups and organization to uh, establish their Identity as separate from Hindi, first in the university, in Kolkata University or in Patna University, then in Sahith Academy, and then uh, finally in the Constitution of India. So uh, the print or the vernacular print did play a very significant role. However, in the last uh, two decades, as uh, uh, you have asked me, it seems that the audio video culture began to play a greater role in assertion or it becomes a mode of expression or articulation of your distinct rich literary oral tradition. So for maitli through print, it established the written literary tradition. In comparison to that, many other linguistic groups such as Bhojpuri or Awadhi uh, did have a, a rich literary tradition, but that was not written. Print was not available as easily as it was available to Hindi writers and intellectuals. So these linguistic groups did uh, face many obstacles in terms of print, or expressing their identity through print. But with this audio video culture, that uh, disadvantage has gone. So in that sense, it has become a kind of enabling thing for these groups. And this is visible. If you look at the contemporary uh, linguistic movement or language politics in North India, where on Facebook or Twitter, People use their own uh, language much more easily than it was the case before
0: something i I noted in your book was that um, you write that many people seem to be indifferent to the reality of Hindi imposition um, and I was wondering why do you think that is and you know how did the Maithili movement uh, actually operate in order to spread awareness among the public.
1: The Movement in North India has the history of 150 years and this uh, history of 150 years is consistent with the persistent indifferent attitude of the masses. So masses have not become a support pillar for the movement, for the organization or the leadership of the Maitli Movement. Uh, One uh, theoretical uh, insight I draw from Asis Nandi in the Intimate enemy. So now in India, uh, language is spoken and there you can think of uh, language as a tool to express yourself, to understand your surroundings. And that is how you speak in the language. But in the 19th century and 20th century, and this is part of the global uh, trajectories, language becomes not just a mode of expression, but also a source of identity. So national identity or nationality question was deeply embedded in the linguistic identity. Now this uh, formation of uh, national identity or community identity on the basis of language was not necessarily the concern for the people or for the speakers as they uh, do their day-to-day business. For them, they do not see the threat or you know perceive the threat to their language, their identity as the elite or the leaders do, uh, the threat to the uh, economic or the Indian culture and history from the colonial rule was first perceived by the elite, which you call modernizing elite. And then they began to mobilize the masses. And it is only by Gandhi that a phase of mass mobilization uh, was reached during the national movement. So was the case with these linguistic movement and mobilization also. So uh, when through print or through the process of standardization, uh, Hindi began to expand its geographical reach or geographical base to appropriate the other linguistic spaces. It was the elite among these linguistic groups such as Maitli, Bhojpuri, Awadhi, which first realized the threat to their language, their uh, um, uh, identity, their literary tradition, oral or written. The people or the common speaker continue to use the same language, without realizing the threat. So I tried to explain it uh, through this uh, uh, maxim of Asis Nandi. There is the enemy, but the realization of that enemy is uh, uh, the business of not everyone in the society. You know, uh, so Indian uh, elite want to modernize India, but they want to do it themselves, not through the Britishers or you know and the colonial uh, state. Similarly, with this linguistic community, there was the similar phenomena where the leadership thought, you know, they are the sense um, custodian of their uh, literary uh, tradition, literary identity. And in that process, they also tried to broaden that consciousness among the masses. And most of them uh, fail to make it a mass uh, mobilization. And thereby also differentiate it with say, other linguistic movements such as Tamil, Marathi and other uh, linguistic communities in India, if you compare to North India, the political and historical context was such even to articulate your linguistic identity as distinct from Hindi was suspected and discouraged by the official of the state, both colonial and the post-colonial state, and then to develop the mass mobilisation on the basis of that was the Herculean uh, effort. And the idea was used to circulate from, say, nationalist elite to the bilingual and trilingual elite. And these trilingual elite understood the difference but faced uh, enormous challenge to mobilize the masses. And that is how this indifferent uh, attitude to these struggles among the masses can be explained.
0: So in your book, you also write that historically, the Maithili movement was led by literary elites, the middle class, and upper caste Brahmins and khayastas. Um Has the movement spread beyond these circles to reach Dalit and Muslim communities in the region? Um, you know, how did other communities respond to the movement? In mainly
1: uh, movement, if you see its early phase, it was the Sanskrit pundits or you know scholars who began to first uh, write literary texts Stories, novels in Maithili, and also Karna So they were among different communities and groups in Maithili-speaking region. These two groups, Maithil uh, Brahmins or the Sanskrit scholars and the Karna were very vocal about uh, Maithili being distinct from uh, Hindi. So if you look at uh, the leadership and organization for a very long time they were dominated by these two communities and uh, that lead to the conception uh, or misconception about maitli being the language of brahmins and karnakastha alone there is also the caste factor which is involved here so some of the organization in the maitli linguistic communities uh, were also caste organization excluded other communities and also uh, um very vocal about uh, maithili identity maithili uh, literary um, tradition so uh, when they began to uh, demand for the recognition in the university uh, such a demand was also challenged because it is the language seen as spoken only by the brahmins and the karnakayas and uh, this misconception was the second uh, biggest challenge in the maithili movement to overcome if you look at the leadership uh, organization of the Maitli movement, it is largely dominated by the Brahmins and Khan Kashta. And increasingly this uh, is being challenged by uh, Dalits, Muslims and other caste groups in uh, uh, Maitli speaking region. And this is also the point when I try to understand the uh, hierarchy uh, in these movement. And this is true in Hindi movement as well. So when they question the dominance of external linguistic, community to say, in the case of Hindi English, or in the case of Maitli Hindi, they do they uh, um, um, question the hierarchy that exists within. So how Hindi uh, negotiate with other languages in the Hindi heartland. Similarly, how Maitli negotiate with other varieties of Maitli. So Angika, Bajika, which is now recognized as the separate language and it is being questioned by the monthly speakers themselves, do they also look at their movement on mobilization critically to understand the hierarchy that exists to the question, the exclusionary practices which exclude certain communities to join the leadership to join the organization. And uh, as I said, uh, there have been different phases of this uh, uh, movement. In the contemporary phase, uh, this caste domination in the leadership, in the organization, is being increasingly challenged. And the next phase of movement, which is after the demonstration and after the recognition in the um, eighth schedule of the Indian Constitution in 2003, there is a proliferation of uh, this consciousness among different groups. And also, uh, kind of, countering the misconception about Maitli being just the language of Brahmins and Karnaka. So, all the communities, all the groups actually speak the language. But when you look at it from the prism of movement, organization, leadership, there are the domination of few communities, few groups, which is being increasingly uh, challenged in the contemporary phase, where uh, in terms of mightly writers, in uh, contemporary times you'll find many um, writers from so-called excluded uh, group as well and uh, joining the um, consciousness or uh, struggle for uh, recognition of might and its uh, um, um, expansion both politically and also literally
0: Um, In your book, you also write that Maithili, as a a political and literary movement, and I know you've mentioned this just now as well, uh, that it was not able to have the same impact as Tamil, Telugu, and Marathi linguistic movements in South India um, in terms of mass support, agitations and uh, rioting. Can you tell us how these movements differed and why uh, South India saw stronger movements?
1: This is uh, another paradox. In these uh, literary movements, and uh, I have tried to argue that through the question of loyalty or how you perceive yourself or develop your subjective identity. So in the case of North India, for the speakers of these languages such as Maitli, Bhojpuri, Awadhi, Hindi was not something which they um, questioned or you know opposed. So they uh, supported Hindi as the national language at the same time they were aware of their own distinct literary tradition so there is a kind of divided loyalty they want uh, to protect their literary tradition uh, linguistic identity at the same time they support hindi and you know the uh, historically politically the struggle in the hindi heartland was between hindi and urdu hindi and english and in that bigger struggle these Linguistic community did support Hindi. The discomfort was visible from the very beginning among these, uh, you know, uh, trilingual, bilingual elites about Hindi and its uh, regional varieties, so called. They began to assert it more vocally, more become more agitative when their space began to be appropriated by the Hindi and their identity was uh, began to be uh, appropriated within the larger framework of uh, Hindi. So these linguistic communities in North India did face that historical, political challenge. In comparison to that, uh, say in Marathi, Tamil, Telugu, uh, you see a kind of association with a particular linguistic form among the speakers. So Telugu speakers do not have that divided loyalty as say mightly Bhojpuri, and other speakers have. And that leads to a kind of more uh, prominence In their assertion or in their agitation against the imposition of Hindi which you see even in the contemporary um, uh, politics as well when uh, the state tries to impose Hindi and Hindi uh, uh, and any other Indian languages uh, one of the difficulties or challenges uh, to look at it as a source of conflict reduce it merely to the question of identity but it can also be a source of bridge, uh, bridging the gaps or divides. Somehow our policies or you know uh, uh, framework have been such which fan that divide or conflict, that tension. For the North Indian linguistic communities, the major challenge is this divided loyalty, where you support Hindi at the same time you are being conscious of your own linguistic identity, and then begin to formulate uh, political. Uh, Demand or the question of uh, recognition within that historical political context make the trajectories of this movement very different from the other movements such as Telugu, Tamil, and Marathi. Uh,
0: At the beginning of this interview, you mentioned that uh, Maithili is spoken by Nepalese as well. So it's actually spoken by 11% of Nepalese, making it the second most spoken uh, language in Nepal, second only to Nepali. Um, how how does the how did or how does the Maithili movement incorporate transnational linguistic communities, um, yeah. and you know how did this transnational nature feature in the movement if at all?
1: I can understand it historically. So there was uh, you know uh, a treaty of Sugali in 1860 between uh, a colonial uh, state or the colonial rulers in India and. Uh, um, the king of nepal and with that treaty some part of mightly speaking region was given to nepal that is now in terai region and uh, some part of Uttarakhand was given to the indian state by the king of nepal since then um, there is a kind of uh, relationship or free uh, free flow of movement a movement of goods and people even the relationships uh, exist between the Indian side of the border or the Nepali side of the world. So border is quite porous or quite open in that sense. Since 1816, they had uh, this uh, relationship, personal, political, literary uh, relationships and products as well. After the uh, separation of that region from India through the Treaty of Sughali, in 1950s, there was one uh, literary figure in Maitli, Lakshmanja he began to question um, the Treaty of Sugali and wanted to um, uh, integrate uh, that divided uh, Mithla or the mithili speaking uh, region. Of course, it did not materialize and many thought it you know, too complex to be solved by the linguistic uh, uh, communities within India because it uh, then include the transnational question. But in the agitation, in the movement, uh, there is the collaboration between the two parts of the Maithili speaking region within India and within uh, Nepal, and there is lots of literary ex- uh, exchanges, collaborations, uh, support uh, for strengthening uh, the movement, or within Nepal or in India to fight for the recognition of Maithili. So there are uh, collaboration, there are uh, literary exchanges. But that is within the separate uh, nationality question. So there is no question of really, you know, uh, combining these uh, two areas, as Lakshman put forward when he was talking about mithila as a union republic, not just a state within the Indian Union, but as a separate sovereign uh, republic. But that kind of demand or uh, articulation did not have a popular support. And um, yet there is the uh, strong ties between the speakers of Maipri in Nepal or in India, and they collaborate in different ways on different uh, uh, platform to uh, strengthen the literary culture tradition. Uh,
0: And I just want to go back to uh, something you said. You said there isn't or wasn't strong popular appeal for that kind of movement. Um, Why not?
1: Consciousness about a language. And formation of identity on the basis of that consciousness should be understood historically and politically as well so uh, in the mighty movement and many of the um, linguistic movement in north india the question is more about recognition and this recognition is about these languages being distinct from hindi their space should not be appropriated by hindi so they do support hindi but they also become more vocal and assertive about their own literary, culture literary space, and so on. Within that, in my community, there is the demand for separate statehood also. So, during the linguistic reorganization of a state immediately after the independence in 1950s, there was uh, the assertion for the creation of separate statehood of Mithila. And in that context, um, Lakshman Jha articulated. About, uh, Mithla being not just a separate state within the Union of India, but a separate Union, sovereign republic. As I said, that uh, this movement was carried or you know um, uh, led by few literary elite, few uh, middle class. They did not have the popular support because among the masses, among the new emerging middle class, English or Hindi was the uh, language of opportunity. They want to, you know, pursue their career in those language, and they saw mightly some kind of an, you know, uh, anachronistic, or you know, some kind of pre-modern uh, identity formation in comparison to Hindi or English. Now, in that uh, historical political context, think about and argue for Mitla as a sovereign republic it was seen as it, uh, you know. Too far-fetched, or maybe uh, you know uh, something which uh, popular consciousness or majority of population could not associate with. So as I said, they were the indifferent attitude. Even for the linguistic demand, was abs- uh, you know there. It was led only by the linguistic elite, or uh, you know the Sanskrit pundits or Carn they did not have the strong mass support, even for the recognition of Maitli as the different language than Hindi. Now, in that context, if you think of getting the support of masses for a separate union, not just for the state, even for the Mittler movement, for the separate institute, do not have broad uh, mass support. And Maitli movement is divided into, you know, those who fight for the linguistic recognition, and those who fight for Mitla as a separate state movement, and these are two branches within the Mitli movement, and they do not often come together. They do support each other, but that is tacit. There is a kind of you know Mitli movement for the literary recognition, for the literary pursuit, and there is a Mitla state movement. They collaborate, but they also have a distinct identity within. Uh, to summarize this point, that in uh, such a context when to get the popular support even for the linguistic uh, identity and recognition of separate linguistic identity uh, demand was not having the popular support. You cannot really think of getting the popular support for construction of such identity like Mithila as a separate union. But nonetheless, those imaginary, those consciousness was present in the movement.
0: Would you say that the Maithili movement was successful and, you know, um, could you flesh that out?
1: If you look at uh, considering the historical uh, context of uh, language movement in North India, Maitli Movement is a successful movement because it has been able to uh, consistently challenge the appropriation of its identity and space by the Hindi speakers. So um, in um, uh, recognition uh, in the universities or in the Sahitya Academy and finally, uh, by the constitution of india is the outcome of a hundred years of struggle so they are successful in terms of meeting those demands but they are not as successful as other linguistic movement in terms of garnering the mass support or you know the popular support within the region for this movement and one of the reason for that uh, in my mind is that even um, after uh, its recognition, um, mightily is not a medium of instruction in the Maitli speaking region. And from the very beginning of this moment, such demands were made. It was even accepted and approved by the state. But in its practice, it was not really uh, materialized. So that expansion within its own speech area has not really materialized and helped in developing the consciousness of mightliness or mightly identity among the masses, among the common uh, people, and about its various uh, claims and demands, both political and literary. That's the internal challenges or limits of the movement, so to say.
0: There have been fears that uh, India's National Education Policy 2020 would become an imposition of Hindi onto non-Hindi speaking states, um, and an attempt uh, at erasing some of the minority languages. I've seen um, some of uh, the protest against this policy being expressed in South India. Um, I've seen also that the policy has uh, restarted debates on the mother tongue and regional language instruction at the primary school level. Uh, Could you talk a little bit about what those consequences might be of having uh, education policies on language diversity in India?
1: This uh, concern or this tension is not new in the language politics in India. It was there during the colonial times, um, during the post-independent times, and every major policies of the government or the state with regard to language face such uh, tension, such uh, challenges. It is. Uh, destabilizing in many sense and there was the fear and threat uh, from this movement or reducing the movement to the question of identity. Uh, And those fears are genuine. Those threats are uh, genuine in many ways also. So when there was the question of linguistic reorganization of state in the 1950s and 60s and the um, history of state formation in India, state in the sense. Provinces or many federal units of Indian uh, Republic. With each uh, such formation, these debates, these tensions come to the fore. In the very recent um, Telangana or Andhra Pradesh divide, or you know, in 2001, um, the creation of three separate states, those uh, tensions, those uh, conflicts were uh, visible. With the NEP, there are similar uh, uh, apprehension whether it will allow the other uh, linguistic groups and communities to uh, flourish or not. In the policy document, there is no mention of imposition. There is the recognition of uh, mother tongue being the medium of instruction. Now, whether it is translated in the letter or spirit or in the uh, ways of implementing there would be imposition of one over the other that would lead to class that will lead to tension but in the linguistically diverse country like india language can also be a source of emotional psychological integration but i think language debate needs to go beyond the question of identity to make or use linguistic resources as a bridge to uh, integrate the population psychologically and emotionally rather than divide them.
0: I also wanted to ask about how the Maithili movement has been constrained, if at all, under the BJP's brand of more nationalist uh, politics and the Hindutva movement. What are the contemporary social and political challenges that um, uh, Maithili speakers are are facing today?
1: Yeah, so there is a fascinating uh, um, relationship of uh, Maitli movement with uh, BJP or hindutva uh, partly because it was recognized um, in the 8th schedule of the constitution under the NDA uh, uh, or uh, when uh, prime minister uh, was paid, uh, and his, um, under his government, Maitli was recognized in 2003 uh, in the 8th schedule of the Indian constitution. However, uh, Mightly and many other linguistic groups also have a discomfort with uh, the ideas of one language, one nation, and such uh, narratives of nation and uh, uh, imaginary of nation, because India is a uh, secular or plural countries, and the nationalism in India is very uh, different from the Hindutva conceptualization of nation, So that's the um, assertion. But uh, historical emergence of national idea or nationalism in India is on the basis of the plurality, recognition of diversity. And uh, it should not be you know, refashioned in a uh, homogenizing way. Modernity and the process of modernization is also about homogenization of difference, diversity and heterogeneity and there is the genuine apprehension about such politics such process among many linguistic communities including Maitli. the um, they share a very uh, peculiar relationship with bjp and nda especially as i said that in the recognition of maithili bjp and nda did play a significant role in the eighth schedule of indian constitution and yet in the imaginary or you know the possibilities of um, uh, Expressing or asserting their distinct identity, whether that would be possible or not, is a question of debate and discussion.
0: Who are your favorite authors? Or uh, you know, if you want to learn more about uh, Maithili, uh, who are your favorite favorite writers in in the language?
1: One of the most favorite uh, is Hari mm-hmm. and Jha, uh, and his text Khater Kaka and Pranamya Devta. Is a very uh, fascinating take on Maithili uh, culture, its history and tradition, also.
0: Okay, thank you so much, uh, Mithilesh. Thank you for joining us. Yeah,
1: thank you. Thanks for having me.